Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, verses 1 through 12. That's our text today as we continue in our series, Faith in Action. We're now in part 8 of the series. Again, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 is our text. In part 7 of this series, uh, the text was chapter 2, verses 14 through 27. We learned that our faith should result in good works. And there James tells us that if we have true, real, saving faith, it will be shown in activities, it will be shown in works. Now remember, we're not saved by works, but our salvation should result in works. We're not saved by our deeds, we're saved for deeds. Now James says, faith without works is dead. And he also points out that real faith is more than intellect or emotions, it's intellect, emotions, and will. I want you to follow me here. The mind understands the truth, the heart desires the truth, and the will acts upon the truth. The bottom line is this. Real faith is not something that we just say or feel. It's something that we do. The title of my message today is The Two-Ounce Troublemaker. Uh, the average human tongue weighs two ounces. It's about four inches long. and has eight muscles to change positions. It helps us to chew, to taste, to swallow, and also to articulate words. The average man speaks about 15,000 words a day. The average woman speaks about 35 plus words a day, some more than others. On the average, we have at least 35 plus conversations face-to-face -face or through speaking on the phone per day, and that's not including texting. The average, speaking of, speaking of texting, the average American, uh, 10 to 24 years old, sends and receives about 140 texts messages per day. 25 to 34 years old sends and receives about 75 text messages per day. 35 to 44 years old sends and receives about 52 text messages per day. 45 to 54 years old sends and receives about 33 text messages per day. And 55 plus years old sends and receives about 16 text messages per day. Now, this little two-ounce muscle is perhaps one of the most ferocious beasts on the face of the earth. It's the number one muscle in our body that receives the most exercise, but less control than any other muscle. It's neither moral or immoral. It's neither friend nor foe. It's neutral. It's neutral. It's simply a courier. It's simply a messenger. Now, now the tongue was a great concern to James, and it was an issue in the church, and, and they were apparently uh, having some serious problems with their tongues, and this is why uh, James mentions the tongue several times in his book. So I want you to follow, follow me here. In chapter 1 of James, verse 19, James says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. In chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, James says, Speak, speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And here in our text, he mentions the tongue in verse 5. Verse 6 and verse 8, and we'll get into that later on. In chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. In chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, 
or you will be condemned. Now, the Bible describes the tongue as wicked, deceitful, perverse, corrupt, filthy, slanderous, flattery, gossiping, blasphemous, foolish, complaining, boasting, cursing, contentious, sensual, vile. It's used for deceit. It's used for destruction. It devours. It's a sharp sword. It backbites and poisons. And this is why I believe God put our tongues in a cage behind our teeth and walled in by our mouth. Psalm 141.3, there David prayed, Psalm 141.3, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. I love that. Someone said, because the tongue is in a wet place, it can easily slip. And that's true. Listen, church, as we, as we go through life, we're going to have many, many opportunities to keep our mouths shut, and we, we would be wise to take advantage of those opportunities. Someone said, a dog is loved by old and young because it wags its tail, not its tongue. I like that. In our text, you will notice James gives us six metaphors, the bit, the rudder, fire, poisonous animal, a fountain, and a fig tree. I want to give you four points uh, from the text today. If you're ready, say yes. Point number one is the accountability. Number one is the accountability. And I'm going to give you three subpoints under point number one. The first subpoint is the caution. Write it down, the caution. Let's look at verse 1a. James writes, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. I'm going to read that again. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. So apparently everybody wanted to be a teacher or a spiritual leader in the church. And perhaps they were impressed with the authority and the prestige of the office and title. And this is why James warns them. Now, obviously, James is not uh, against people teaching and preaching God's word. Rather, he's against people rushing in, into it without counting the cost or failing to, failing, excuse me, failing to understand the enormous responsibility and accountability that comes with it. Now, there are some people, I would say, there are some people uh, who just want to be teachers and preachers to be honored by men. Some uh, just like hearing themselves. Some uh, want to have a platform for, uh, from which to talk about their own spins of doctrine and spins of theology. And some just do it to receive money. Now listen, because we live in an information age, we need to be very, very discerning. I want you to write this down, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter Two verse one, and there Peter Peter warned that just as a just as false prophets arose among the people of the Old Testament, he says there will also be false prophets and teachers among you. Now, I know we can't read the motives of people, but we can examine their teaching. In First Thessalonians, write it down. First Thessalonians five verses twenty one through twenty two. Again, First Thessalonians five. 21 through 22, Paul writes this, examine everything carefully. Did you get that? Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So the bottom line is this, teaching and preaching the word shouldn't be taken lightly. There's, there's, there's a higher accountability for those of us who teach and preach the word. So the first subpoint is the caution. Second subpoint is the condemnation. Write that down. The condemnation. And look at verse one. Be with me. James writes, "Because you know that we who teach, listen, to what he says, will be judged more strictly. 
I'm going to read it again. Because you know that we who teach, okay, will be judged more strictly. The King James says it like this, knowing that we shall receive the greater, listen now, condemnation. The greater condemnation. Now listen, if you're, you're in a teaching, a teaching or, or preaching position or desire to teach or preach someday, I trust that you will realize the significance of what you're engaged in. This is serious stuff. It's serious business. Listen, all who preach and, and all who teach the word will give an account to God how they handled the word. Now, as teachers and preachers, we are to teach and preach the unadulterated word of God and divide it correctly without prejudice or opinion and obey the word as well. 2 Timothy 2.15, write it down, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly, love that, correctly handles the word of truth. Write this down, 1 Timothy chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16. I'm just going to read verses 15 and 16 to you. It says, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Listen to what he says. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Listen, a teacher or a preacher who is unprepared, who's not grounded in sound doctrine or who, whose life is not right can cause a lot of damage to others. So I want to give a word to those of us who, who teach and preach. What we sow into the lives of others will impact them for good or for bad, depending on whether we sowed good seed or bad seed, whether we sowed sound doctrine or bad doctrine. And James, what he's simply saying here is this, don't take lightly the mantle of communicating spiritual truths to others. Now, as your pastor, I want to assure you that, I want to assure all of you that I always take the necessary time and effort, friends, to properly prepare each time I share God's word to you. I take my calling and my position very seriously. So there's a lesson here, and this is the lesson the spotlight is attractive, but costly. The spotlight is attractive, but costly. Being up in front of a group of people, teaching and preaching is definitely being in the center of attention, but there's a downside to that. If you point them in the wrong direction, God is going to hold you fully responsible. So the caution, the condemnation, the next point is the congregation. Write that down, the congregation and notice James goes, James goes from addressing just teachers now to addressing everyone in the congregation. And look at verse 2 with me. He says, we all, there it is, we all stumble in many ways. I'm going to read that again. We all stumble, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Even though, listen now, even though we fail, we stumble and fall short in many ways, there's no reason for lack of desire in doing better. Now listen, we will never achieve sinless perfection here on earth, but each of us should do, what we should do is strive to sin less. Strive to sin less. And there ought to be a desire within us to live as holy and righteous as we possibly can. Let's read on. 
If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. I want to stop there. Now, the word perfect here in the text is not talking about being sinless. In the Greek, the word perfect is the word teleos. Teleos, that's T-E-L-E-I-O-S, teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S. It means mature, complete. It means discipline. It's the same word that James uses in chapter 1, verse 4. So let's read on. Able to keep his whole body in check. So, so this man is perfect. In other words, he's spiritually mature and able to bridle his body. In other words, literally restrain his fleshly desires. I like that. So friends, by controlling our mouths, we should be able to exercise, in other words, practice self-control in the other areas of our lives. So number one is the accountability. Number two is the potency, the potency. And there I have four sub points for you. And number two, the potency, uh, first sub point is the illustration. Write that down, the illustration. Write that down. And I love how James offers a simple yet profound uh, illustrations of the influence, excuse me, of the influence of the tongue. Look at verses three and four with me. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Verse four, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So what James does here, he points out two small items with great power to steer and control or control some, something of greater size, right? That's what he's saying. Uh, for example, you have a 1,200-pound horse who possesses more strength than any human, and yet the jockey can control the horse by a four-inch bit of metal in the horse's mouth. And then you have a rudder. A rudder enables the pilot to steer a huge ship. Uh, the ocean liner, the ocean liner, the, uh, the Queen Elizabeth, weighed 83,673 tons. The rudder weighed only 140, uh, 140 tons, less than two-tenths of 1% of the ship, yet it controls and steers and directs the ship. My point is this. This two-ounce piece of muscle controls our 100 to 200 plus bodies. It has a power, listen now, the power to direct our lives. I want you to follow me here. You can see where someone's life is going just by what comes out of their mouth. That being said, our conversations reveal the direction of our lives. And friends, we shape our words and our words shape us. Our tongue is the steering wheel, the bit, the rudder, if you will, of our lives. It directs where we're going to go. It directs where we're headed. And what comes out of our mouths will set the direction of our lives. Warren Wiersbe said this, both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces. The bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse and the rudder must fight the winds and the currents that would drive the ship off its course. The human tongue also must overcome contrary forces. We have an old nature that wants to control us and make us sin. There are circumstances around us that would make us say things we ought not to say. Sin on the inside and pressures on the outside are seeking to get control of the tongue. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We have the old nature, right? And the new, we have the old nature, excuse me, and the new nature and one tongue, and they both, the new nature and old nature, want to say something. And this is why we need to daily crucify the old nature and cultivate the new nature. 
And you see, just like both the bit and the rudder must be under the control of a strong hand, our tongue must be under the control of the hand of God. Now, I want to say this. The tongue can be beneficial. It's, it's not all just bad, okay? It can be beneficial. And I want you to follow me here. Just as the rudder guides a ship through rough seas, the tongue can bring guidance and encouragement in troubled times. And I, I just want to stop and thank all of you that send me text messages, um, emails, and for those of you that called me, and just to give me encouraging words during this troubling time, this, this pandemic that we're facing right now. So thank God that uh, he used you to encourage me. The illustration, notice the destruction. Write that down, the destruction. The destruction. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 with me. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, now, now I want to say this. The, the words great boast there is most likely referring to gossip, not bragging. Okay, it's referring to gossip, not bragging. And in one of the ways the tongue is most like setting a forest on fire is what? With gossip, with gossip. Now, let's be honest. Okay, let's, let's, let's totally be, be honest here. When we hear the words, did you hear about or so-and-so said, our ears perk up, don't they? They perk up and we want to hear about it. It's just, it's just our, our, our natural uh, nature. It's, it's our nature, our human nature to want to hear things. And I want to tell you, church, gossip is like a deadly fire. It can cause great damage. And by the way, most churches, most, excuse me, most church splits are the result of gossip. The church splits up because people don't shut up. And the best thing about gossip is to never start it. Look at verse 6a with me. The tongue, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. I'm going to read that again. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. So James means that the whole world of evil can find, it, find its expression through the tongue. It's boastful. It's destructive anger, cutting bitterness, flattery, lust. It's gossip. The tongue, what he's saying, the, the tongue communicates them all. And you see, fire, friends, if controlled, can cook food, it can give heat, it can generate power, but out of control, it can destroy lives, it can destroy things. Fire, by its, its very nature, is destructive. It always consumes the fuel it feeds off of. So I want you to think about the destruction of, of, of forest fires that consumes thousands of acres, and they're often started with just a small spark or a campfire that was left unattended or even a discarded cigarette. And, and they, they began small but quickly grows too difficult, too difficult, excuse me, to contain and distinguish. October 8th, 1871 was the Great Chicago Fire. It burned an area four miles long, one mile wide. It destroyed 17,500 buildings, left 100,000 people homeless, and 300 people died. It cost the city over $400 million. That was in 1871, $400 million. And after the investigation, the fire started in the O'Leary barn when a cow kicked over a lantern. You see, the tongue is like a turned-over lantern or like a match, small, but can do significant damage. And James speaks of an unruly tongue in the same way. It's, it's a fire, a world of iniquity. It's, it's capable of all manner of wickedness and destruction. 
Friends, listen up. We need to be reminded of the great harm and destruction the tongue can cause. So, so stay with me here. So the tongue not only has the power to direct our lives, but it also has the power to destroy lives. And friends, if we don't learn to control our tongue, we will become verbal arsonists, human flame throwers, devastating and destroying others, and ultimately ourselves. And I got to tell you, I know people who have lost their marriage, who have lost their family, their ministry, their career, their best friends, their kids, their job, and destroyed their reputation, all because they could not control their tongue. The illustration, the destruction, the next up point is the defilement. Write that down, the defilement. And, and look at verse 6b with me, the defilement, verse 6b. It corrupts the whole person. Do you get that? It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. So just as a raging fire brings destruction to all that it touches, James says the tongue defiles the entire body in much the same way. The entire person can, can, can be polluted by the uncontrolled tongue. That's what he's saying. Now let's go back to the text. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course, the whole course of his life on fire. Those, those words, whole course, means our inflammatory words can cause a chain reaction or a domino effect. It can begin a blaze that reaches out into all the areas of our lives. The illustration, the destruction, the defilement, and the fourth sub-point there is the devastation. Write that down, the devastation. Look at verse 6c with me. Verse 6c, and it and is itself and is itself set on fire by hell. Did you get that? And is itself set on fire by hell. In other words, all hell breaks loose. All evil, listen now, all evil speech has its source from hell. It's born of Satan. Now get this. One is never in the will of God. We'll say it again. One is never, excuse me, one is never in the will of God while speaking from an evil tongue. And friends, you ever wonder, you ever wonder why our world is filled with hatred and slander? You know why it's filled with hatred and slander? Because it's under the influence of Satan. I mean, just look at social media. Just look at tweets. It's filled with anger, hatred, and slander. So, so we need to control our tongue and watch our mouths. Write this down, Psalm 39, Psalm 39, verse 3. Says, my heart grew hot within me, and I was, and as I meditated, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. Friends, a hot head and a hot heart can lead to burning words that later you will regret. How many times have you said something because you were angry, you were hot-headed, later on to regret? Proverbs 17.27 says, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even tempered. I love that. Proverbs 10.19 Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I like that. You know what's sad? I have heard people speak more tenderly to their pets than to their spouse and their children. 
It's sad. So there's a lesson here. Here's a lesson. There is great power in the tongue. That's the lesson. There is great power in the tongue. Friends, we should never underestimate the power of our words. Write this down. Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21. The tongue, listen now, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, so the mouth, listen now, the mouth can be used by Satan to bring death or by God to bring life. Listen now, our words, or excuse me, our words, yes, our words can be ignited by hell or ignited by heaven. Give me an example here. Hitler, we all know who he is, right? Hitler, his persuasive words led his followers to believe that the Jews were worthless and the result was six million Jews were murdered. How about Billy Graham? Billy Graham, with his words, led millions to God. Proverbs 16.23 says, Proverbs 16.23, a wise man, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. I love that. Number three, point number three, is the incorrigibility, incorrigibility. It's a big word, incorrigibility. It means not able to be corrected, not to be improved or reformed. It simply means not manageable, not manageable. And so what James, James now, what he does, he changes the image one more time and he gives us another simple yet profound illustration in verses seven through eight. Follow me now, verses seven through eight. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. Verse eight. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. So he's saying humanity has the ability to tame practically every animal on earth, but the tongue is untamable. Someone said this, regardless of efforts to educate and reform, the tongue continues to be an unruly evil producing heartache and despair. It is amazing that such a small organ is that difficult to manage. P.T. Barnum of Barnum Bailey Circus could tame all kinds of animals, but there's one beast not even he could tame, and that beast is the tongue. The text says it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now the word restless there in the text in the Greek, literally means always liable to break out at any moment. I'm going to say it again. It means always liable to break out at any moment. It will snap or lash out at you at any moment. And I want to say this. More people have been slain by the tongue than the sword. Notice the word poison. The word poison there in the text refers to snake venom. Just a couple of bites will kill you. So, so the tongue can assassinate characters and, and poison minds. And you see, our tongues are like the forked menace of a poisonous snake. We strike and poison those around us. Warren Worsby said this, some animals are poisonous and some tongues spread poison. The deceptive thing about poison is that it works secretly and slowly and then kills. How many times has some malicious person injected a bit of poison 
into the conversation, hoping it would spread and finally get to the person he or she wanted to hurt. The accountability, the potency, the incorrigibility, and number four is the inconsistency. The inconsistency. Write that down, the inconsistency. In these verses, James illustrates the, get this now, the the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde tongue's tendency. So I want you to to follow me here, verses 9 through 10. He says, With the tongue we, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 10, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. So, so what James is saying is how inconsistent that we should use the same tongue to praise God and curse others made in God's image. So let's be real here. How many times have we been at church and for the hour and, and 10 or 15 minutes, we've been praising God and worshiping God and saying hallelujah and praying and loving on others. But the minute we leave church and get in the car, we begin to curse each other, talk down to one another, begin to get angry at one another. It happens all the time, doesn't it? James says, this should not be. Now, I want to go back to the text here. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it curse men who have been made in God's likeness. So that says we must see every person as of infinite value and worth because they are made in the image of God. Let's move on, verses 11 through 12. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Verse 12. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a a salt spring produce fresh water. So he's saying, listen now, he's saying, as a fountain sends out one kind of water, and a tree, one kind of fruit, so we ought to have consistency in our speech. I love that. You see, what we are will ultimately be disclosed by what we say. So I want you to follow me here. Our words direct our lives. They can destroy lives, but they also can display who we really are. You see, if the tongue is inconsistent, I'm going to say it again, if the tongue is inconsistent, then there's something wrong with the heart. Because who you really are doesn't start on the tongue, it starts in the heart. So I have a question for you. What do people say about you? What do they say about you? That you're kind? That you're loving? That you're patient? That you're gentle? Or would they say that you're angry, that you're moody, that you're bitter, that you're condescending, that you're negative, that you're rude, that you're a gossiper, or that you're a complainer? What would they say about you? You see, friends, what's inside is what comes out. What's in the water well is what's going to come out. Whatever is in the tree is going to come out in the fruit. So our mouth Listen now, our mouth is the microphone to our hearts. And the words, and our words are windows to our hearts. Write this down, Matthew 12, 34. 
Matthew 12, 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, you know what? If we're saved, our words, our words should refresh others like water from a fountain and taste like fruit from a tree. I want you all to open up your mouth, open your mouth and say, ah. Now we know how to do that, right? Say, ah. Everyone say, ah. You see, a doctor often looks behind the tongue, but God looks all the way down to the heart. And if you're saved, say amen. And please listen. If our words are inconsistent, then we're sending a message that it's okay to be a Christian and not change. I'm going to say it again. If our words are inconsistent, then we are sending a message that it's okay to be a Christian and not change. John MacArthur said this, a transformed nature will produce transformed behavior and new and new behavior involves new speech. Speech that corresponds to a saved and sanctified life and that reflects the holy nature of the one who has given the new life. Colossians 4.6 says this. Colossians 4.6 Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So all that's been said, all that we've learned in light of the message, I want to give us five ways to manage our tongue. Quickly here, five ways to manage our tongue. Here we go. First way is this, is daily dedicate our hearts to God. Write that down. Daily <clears throat> dedicate our hearts to God. Listen now, when God is Lord of our hearts, then He's Lord of our lips. I'm going to say it again. When, when God is Lord of our hearts, then He is Lord of our lips. If our hearts are right with God, in other words, daily walking with Him and communing with Him, our words will be sweet, our words will be acceptable. If our hearts are not right with God, the sin within us will be revealed through our words. Now, Psalm 141, verses 3 through 4, write that down. Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. David says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Friends, if we find ourselves continually being negative, judgmental, or degrading others, then we need to check our hearts. Listen, friends, our communication will reveal the condition of the heart. And I don't know about you, but I want, to, I want to produce fruit that pleases God. And so I know that I need to daily, listen now, daily be filled and, and under the control and under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. Right? I need that. Now get this. The proof that I am filled, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Get this now, I'm going to say it again. The proof that I am, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is not that we speak in an unknown tongue, but that we control the tongue that we do know. Get this. Our spiritual maturity is reflected by a controlled tongue. I love that. Our spiritual maturity is reflected by a controlled tongue. Now, if you're not saved, okay, you need, you need a new heart. If you're saved, 
You need to dedicate your heart once again to God. If you're not saved, you need a new heart. So daily dedicate our hearts to God. The second way is pray, pray that God would give us an awareness of our words. Pray that God would give us an awareness of our words. In other words, acknowledge our need, listen now, for discernment in God's grace to help us remain conscious, aware of our words, of what we say. Psalm 19.14, write that down. Psalm 19.14 says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Gosh, I love that. So daily dedicate our hearts to God. Pray that God would give us an awareness of our words. The third way is ask for forgiveness for any unloving words or attitudes. Ask for forgiveness for any unloving words or attitudes. So friends, we need to spend time with God. Listen now, spend time with God repenting and asking for forgiveness regarding any language or words that we have spoken that are offensive. Now, if we have offended somebody, said something offensive to somebody, we need to go and ask them for forgiveness. So again, daily dedicate our hearts to God. Pray that God would give us an awareness of our words. Ask for forgiveness for any unloving words or attitudes. The fourth way is practice speaking. Practice speaking words that encourage, that comfort, that edify inspire. I'm saying again, practice speaking words that encourage, that comfort, that edify, and inspire. Write this down, Ephesians. Ephesians 4.29. Again, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Did you get that? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Now, Warren Wiersbe suggests that we start using 12 words that can transform our lives. It's please, thank you, I'm sorry, I love you, and I'm praying for you. When's the last time you said please or, or thank you to somebody? Or, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or I love you, or I'm praying for you. So daily dedicate our hearts to God. Pray that God would give us an awareness of our words. Ask for forgiveness for any unloving words or attitudes. Practice speaking words that encourage, comfort, edify, and inspire. And lastly, the fifth way is think before we speak. Think before we speak. Let me say it this way, okay? Think before we tweet. Think before we text. Think before we send out that email. Back to chapter 1 of James, verse 19. He said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Remember that? Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Someone said this, the person who thinks by the inch and speaks by the yard ought to be kicked by the foot. <laughs> I like that. Someone said this, taste your words before you spit them out. You see, friends, a lot of trouble in this world is caused by combining a narrow mind with a wide mouth. So engage your mind, engage your mind before you put your mouth in gear. Engage your mind before you put your mouth in gear. 
Now, I'm going to leave you with this, and I want to leave you with an acronym on the word THINK. So before ye speak, THINK. T stands for, is it true? Is it true? The H stands for, is it helpful? Is it helpful? The I stands for, is it inspiring? Is is, is it inspiring? The N stands for, is it necessary? And the K stands for, is it kind? Before I speak and say something, I got to ask myself, think, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is amazing. We thank you for the truth that it speaks, for the conviction that it brings into our lives. And oh, how, Lord, we all need this message. I need it. We all need it. And I pray, Lord, that we would daily dedicate and surrender our hearts to you so that the words that flow from our mouths would be seasoned with grace, saturated, saturated with love, and filled with kindness. And Lord, I want to echo the very words of the psalmist. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful day.